Welcome to Three Little Things, a natural health podcast. We've created this space to help you positively navigate the world of holistic and natural well-being, where each week we will explore something new and dive into a diverse range of holistic health topics from all walks of life. As chiropractors, we are equally passionate about helping educate, share and empower you on your well-being journey. Created with you in mind, Three Little Things aims to bring you digestible topics and applicable tools and strategies to help you grow, thrive and live well. So let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of the Three Little Things podcast. My name is Sarah and I'm joined with my co-host Lily and we are back for part two with Hannah. So I highly recommend if you haven't listened to part one, listen to that first. This episode is going to kind of just flow straight on in Hannah's story. So definitely jump back and listen to part one. But yeah, Hannah, let's just get into it. Thank you. Very excited to be back. If you, as Sarah said, if you listen to part one, you know, we, we discuss my fertility journey, my miscarriages and kind of what I did to you know, have a successful pregnancy. My coming obviously through that pregnancy was filled with a lot of stress and anxiety and, you know, is this actually going to end in a mm-hmm. in a in a live baby? Um and I, I couldn't really envisage that. And I think because of that, I didn't really plan for the birth. I mean I, I knew how babies come out. I'm a f- educated woman. <laughs> um, you know, I I knew of the various types of interventions. I knew about C sections. Um, I knew about potential things that could go wrong, you know, bleeding, tearing, uterine rupture, all of those sorts of things. So I, I had a quite a good kind of base knowledge, but I didn't, we didn't do any birth classes. I didn't um, do any sort of preparation such as a birth plan or anything mm-hmm. like that. I, for me, it was, I will go into the hospital and I will come out with a live baby. That was it. Full stop. End yeah. of birth plan. Um, how the baby came out, I, I did, really didn't care. I wanted, I knew I wanted to have a really low threshold to go to a cesarean, I didn't want to go through this whole thing to then, you know, get into a labour and say, well, we'll just push a little bit more unless it was going to be if, you know, if there was any indication that potentially something wasn't right, I just wanted to, to have him out safe. And you were under the care of an OB team, yeah? No. So I, okay. went, I went public for my first yep. with Sam. So I saw the midwives. Um, they were great. Um, I had a, a Doppler that I used at home to ease my anxiety, yeah, which nice. um, a lot of people don't recommend for me. It was it was the right choice. Um, so I had the 20-week scan. Everything was perfect. And then, it, you know, kind of a bit disappointing to me that in the public system that's the last scan you get unless you pay for your own. So it was around 32 weeks. I said, look, I just kind of want to see how he's growing, make sure everything's okay. Um, so I... I went and paid for a scan privately and everything was perfect. He was measuring quite big, which didn't surprise me. I'm a tall person. My husband's tall. Um, My husband also has a big head, so that didn't surprise me. His head was 100th percentile in the scans. But the scan said that he was measuring about three weeks ahead. Um, And I was 32 weeks at that point. In hindsight, I know that those scans are very, very inaccurate. Um, they can be off by up to about 500 grams, which, mm. you know, four kilo baby is a lot. Yeah. Uh, so went into my midwife appointment with just the information that I don't want to birth a gigantic baby. Mm. <laughs> um, so at my 35, around 35 week mark, I had my midwife appointment. Um, I said, look, I'm, I'm, this is something I'm quite anxious about. You know, I'd Googled, you know, what happens if you give birth to a live baby and all the answers were you can hemorrhage, you can tear, mm. you can have massive prolapse. So, you know, that initial information that I got was giving birth to a a big baby is going to cause problems. So the midwife said, look, have another scan around the 36-week mark, see how that's going. They referred me to another ultrasound clinic that they thought was more reputable. So I had the scan at 36 weeks. He was now measuring three and a half weeks ahead, according to the scan, um, and was predicted if I'd gotten to term at 40 weeks that he'd be over four and a half kilos. 
which terrified me. Mm. So came back in and at 37 weeks I said, look, I, given my history with my miscarriages, I'm feeling quite anxious because I had hemorrhaged in my DNC surgery. They had said I was at a high risk for bleeding during birth, um, which Google also told me that big baby means you're going to bleed. Mm. So I said, look, I, I'd like to have this baby earlier. Um, the hospital was very overly bit too eager to to accept that and offered me either an induction or a c-section at 38 and a half weeks um I, I did ideally want to have a vaginal birth so I um, agreed to the induction um I had no signs of labor at that point um nothing at all I tried expressing some colostrum didn't really get anything which is quite common with the first first pregnancy so went in at 38 and a half weeks um packed two suitcases worth as first time parents usually do <laughs> to go to the hospital um went in in the evening they checked my cervix was hard closed yep. long um so they inserted a cervidil pessary which is has um, again not medical but um a bit of a hormone really essentially to, to soften your cervix and make it ripe enough that they can then go in and break your water with the hook in the morning so they gave me that at around 7 p.m and they said look you know try and get some sleep have a walk around eat some dinner and we'll kind of check on you periodically through the night around 10 p.m i started cramping you know very, you know that kind of all oh, my period's probably going to come tomorrow sort of cramps very mild they came and checked or it was all fine then around midnight 1am they came in again and they were like we'll, we'll just hold the ctg monitor on for a minute and we'll just check and then we'll go away and they held the monitor and, they, and she's like oh i think i'm just gonna put the monitor on and we'll just leave it on for a little bit and i was like well is, every, is everything okay she was like yeah yeah that's fine she came back half an hour later and she's like mm, we might put a cannula in you ready for the morning i was like okay <laughs> And she was like, she would do that. We'll just give you, you know, a bit of fluids. Um, I was like, is everything okay? And they were like, yeah, yeah, look, everything's fine. And I said to Rafa, and they left. And I was I was watching the CTG yeah. machine. Um, I'd gone in for quite a few checkups um, when I'd felt reduced movements. So I, I knew how that machine kind of looked. And I could see that his heart rate was starting to drop with what I was having, period cramps. So I, t- I remember turning to Rafa and going, this is this is ending in a C-section. Mm. I was like, there is no if if I if you know they haven't really told me anything yet, but if they're giving me fluids and they're strapping me up and I can see that his heart rate's already dipping, there's no way we're going to get through the next you know 24 hours of labour. So they came in and they said, look, he's not happy. His heart rate is dropping. Mm. You know, every time you have one of these cramps, they checked my cervix. It hadn't favoured at all. So they said, look, we can either now give you something to stop the contractions, wait 12 hours, start again, or we can do a C-section. And I said, look, let's just do a C-section. Mm. I said, I don't, you know, if, if he's not coping now, how not is he going to cope yeah. with full-blown contractions? I just couldn't. And I, I don't want to get to that point and then it be an emergency C-section. Yeah. Um, so, and the team at North Meters was amazing. Within, you know, a few minutes, there's a whole bunch of people in the room. The anaesthetist, the anaesthetist was actually the same one who did my DNC surgery, Aww. which obviously he would have seen hundreds of people yeah. between that time. But I remembered him and, it, and that for me was a bit of a comfort to yep. to kind of have gone through something so sad with this man to now go through something really positive was mm. you know Rafa gowned up and you know, everyone says their partners look so attractive in gowns and it's true and <laughs> you know they they were like look it's it's not an emergency so they gave me the mm. drugs to stop the cramps his heart rate improved straight away they said we're going to call in the surgery team it'll be about half an hour so we kind of packed up our bags and and went down to the theater it was two lovely little midwives um who were pushing me and they were struggling so Rafa ended up pushing the bed oh, through the wards well, that's kind of nice you know, went into the bay, they got me um, all ready and then 
we went into theatre and they gave me the epidural, oh, sorry, the spinal block. They also did an epidural as well because they said if you do hemorrhage and we need to continue working on you, the epidural we can top up, whereas the spinal blocks are once off, something like that. So they got me already, laid me down, and Rafa came in and I said to the doctor, I said, actually, before we start, can we call my mum because I want her to pray? Mm. Um, so we called called her, put her on speakerphone, she prayed, um, and the doctor um, I remember asking before, I said, look, is, is that okay? And the doctor was like, absolutely. I like, she was like, I actually call my mum to pray before big things too. Aww. Which was really nice that the, the doctor held my hand while they, you know, were doing the spinal block because your partner's not allowed in for that period of time. So that was really amazing. And then, you know, once they said go, he was out within, you know, less than 10 minutes. They pulled him out um, and gave a little squeal. And the first thing I said is, he's so small. Oh. <laughs> I was expecting, you know, based on the the charting, they had said at the 38-week mark he'd be four kilos and they pulled him out and I was just like, he's so small. So um, he was a bit stunned. Um, So they were like, look, we're just going to take him over. So they took him over, I believe. They kind of just checked him over and gave him a bit of air and then brought him back. He was on my chest and I then felt really nauseous, which is quite common. So I said to Rafa, quick, take him. And I was throwing up to the side and then he came back and he was just on my chest the whole time which was amazing and then they weighed him and he was 3.47 kilos Beautiful. so perfectly average yeah. and had I gone to 40 weeks probably would have still been under four kilos yeah very very much less than the four and a half that was predicted he he did come out quite stunned he was quite sleepy babies mm. that don't go through um the vaginal canal don't get constricted and so they don't have that ability to kind of get rid of all that mucus that is sitting kind of in their stomach and their 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 lungs and things so he was very sleepy he wasn't interested in feeding um mm. his blood sugars dropped you know it was really a bit of a struggle to get him to latch so on day about 48 hours in they gave him some glucogel um and some formula and you know kind of flipped a switch really woke up and and it was all really smooth sailing from there Left the hospital after three nights, went home, um, felt very confident, you know, looking after a baby. I'd always been, you know, the babysitter and things like that. So it was amazing. I, I felt really sore, obviously, mm-hmm. and then took the the bandage off my scar about, I think it was about 10 days after the birth. And then by about two weeks afterwards, the scar had opened on the side, mm-hmm. was really sensitive and painful, went to my GP. She was like, look, it's it's not abnormal. Um, you know, she gave me some antibiotics and said that it would just put some steri strips and that would heal itself fine. Um, and, and then at around four, five weeks after birth, I was still feeling rotten. And I just thought this, you know, this is what people go through major abdominal surgery feel like. You know, I'd been cut open. I was waking up every two to three hours at night. My, you know, I was exclusively breastfeeding. So my Mm -hmm. body was obviously producing a lot of milk for him. I just, I felt really tired, barely left the couch. And I um, had a coffee with the lady that I had shared the hospital room with because I was public. I had a shared room. She'd also had a C-section. It was her second and it was planned. She came over and we had a coffee and I was like, look, like, how are you feeling? She's like, I feel great, 100% you know, 100%, you know, back to normal basically. She's like, how are you feeling? I was like, I still feel awful. She was like, you, you do look really washed out, you know, maybe you should go see your doctor. And then within a couple of days I started bleeding vaginally and, you know, my stomach started to get a bit bloated, swelling, quite tenderness, quite tender. And I remember having Sam on my chest and his little feet kicking, kicking away and kicking my stomach and going, oh, that's actually really sore. Went down to my GP um, and she was like, look, it, it could be retained placenta. It could just be you've got getting your period back. And I said, look, I'm, I'm breastfeeding every two to three hours. Mm. That's un, you know, I didn't really feel that it was going to be that likely I'd gotten my period back five weeks. I mean, it was, you know, not 
completely uncommon, but I felt it was probably unlikely. Went up to emergency because I was bleeding quite heavily. This was March or April 2021, so it was peak COVID. Mm. I had a five-week-old unvaccinated baby. We were all masked up, masked up, sat in emergency for about five or six hours waiting for someone, um, ended up having a scan, and the sonographer was like, look, it does look like retained placenta. And I said, how, how does that happen? Like I had a C-section, like they were literally looking inside of me. And he's like, it's actually more common with C-sections and vaginal births. He's like, I see it, I see people more with c-section so and i was just like completely devastated uh is that because they pull it off the urine wall versus it passing itself do we know why i don't know they you know doctors couldn't couldn't really tell me Mm. um and then the OBGYN team came down and said you know look it could be retained placenta it could also be a polyp it could you know be anything really um they said we don't want to go in and do a dnc or exploratory mm. surgery because obviously your uterus is still so sensitive um they did perhaps a swab pap smear um which was excruciating mm. and said look wait two weeks see what happens we'll do a swab come back so i had an um an appointment with the team two weeks sorry I actually went and did another ultrasound two weeks afterwards was still there I was still bleeding I'd gone back to hospital another time in that two-week period because I'd had more bleeding they still said you know wait so when I went back to as an outpatient to see the OBGYN team I was like look obviously it's the placenta or whatever it is is still there I'm still bleeding I'm still in pain and they actually also said from the swab I had come back with um Pseudomonas, mm-hmm. which is a bacteria that you usually yep. pick up in hospitals. Um, and so they said, look, we can, if to treat actually this infection, we need to give you a huge dose of antibiotics and you have to stop breastfeeding for two weeks to do that. We can do that. We can wait again, see if the placenta will pass. And I said, no, I don't, I want to do that. So I ended up having a DNC the next morning, um, which was terrifying because mm. the thought of being unconscious now that I had a baby was really, I just couldn't really accept that I would be in this unconscious state while I had this tiny little baby but it went really smoothly Um, and within about 48 hours after the surgery it just felt like someone had breathed life into me and I was like oh okay this is how I'm meant to feel (laughs) this is you know not back to normal I was still obviously a sleep deprived breastfeeding mother but I just you know felt so much better my body had obviously been fighting this infection for what was now eight weeks after that, it was a really smooth recovery um, and, you know, from that point, I, you know, had a great breastfeeding journey um, but I knew that I wanted it to be different the next time. I said I don't want to go through that again whilst, you know, now having a toddler. So mm-hmm. when it came time to, you know, think about having a second child, I really wanted to prepare myself well. Um, prior to getting pregnant, I sought out a private obstetrician. I knew I wanted to have a vaginal birth. Feedbacks are still relatively uncommon um, around here, um, especially, you know, in, in the private hospitals that we have on the northern beaches. So I, you know, reached out to Facebook mums group, said, look, I'm looking for a private obstetrician who, you know, will support a feedback. I knew that I wanted the extra support in the first trimester for extra scans because of the anxiety around the miscarriages. And I wanted the extra support postpartum as well. Obviously, you have that first six weeks where you're still under the care of your OB. I didn't want to have to go and sit in emergency for six hours for someone to go, you know, to then be able to get a scan. The actual birth, you know, I'd had a really great experience, but I wanted that 
that extra care. So I got recommended Dr. Andrew Pickering. So he's mm. based out of Manly Beach Babies in Manly. Um, cannot speak highly enough of him. I hope he listens to this. He was just incredible. Um, so I actually met with him before I was pregnant. He was the only doctor out of the five that I'd reached out to who called me on his mobile and said, you know, thanks for reaching out. This is me. This is, you know, my philosophy. Happy to support you with a feedback. Um, he does actually have one of the highest feedback rates in the hospitals around here. I'm just going to interject quickly here yes. because um, we do have quite a few patients who go back and forth um, to Dr. Andrew. Yeah. And I think he's also pretty good at our philosophy with breach babies, isn't he? Yes. yes. Okay, yes. great. He did yeah. a breach feedback the yeah. week before right. I had yeah. Thomas. And the other thing I want to say about what your story is telling me, Hannah, is that you have great emotional intelligence mm. because, you know, both episode one that you gave us and this one, as I'm hearing now, has taken you a lot of courage to chase down your innate feeling that something's not right. Mm. So innate intelligence is God-given, as we all know. And your body was trying very hard to tell you that there was something in your body it had to eject. And you were knocking on so many doors and being told, you're wrong. Mm. But you knew innately that something had been left there perhaps yeah. you know so what you're going to tell us next is going to be really interesting yeah. regarding VBAC thank yes. you so I you know from day one I, I knew that I wanted a VBAC I knew that I wanted a vaginal birth and mm-hmm. you know mainly for the recovery and which is quite interesting because I know people that have gone the other way that have you know had a you know a really hard or really traumatic vaginal birth you know had blood loss had prolapse issues you know had significant tearing and gone I don't want to go through that again and so I'm going to have a C-section um, whereas for me because I'd had the really hard C-section recovery I really wanted to be able to have a, a positive vaginal birth and you know not necessarily that this is the the correct way of thinking but for me uh, it was something that I really wanted to experience mm-hmm. uh, you know to to have that vaginal birth and feel like I'd, I'd I've done it. So I engaged Andy about a week after I saw him for that pre kind of conception, found out I was pregnant, you know, again, told my team, told my support network, um, you know, relish, didn't have any anxiety about losing this baby. I just thought this is it. I told, you know, my, I did a little reveal for my family when I was about 11 days, 12 days after ovulation. I just, I, I just, I knew and, you know, look, Here's Tommy sitting behind me, but I, I knew it was going to go well. Around mm. 10 weeks, um, I reached out to a student doula because we were kind of putting all of our funds into the obstetrician. I knew that having an obstetrician does increase your chances of having a C-section, but I knew I really wanted that care. So I, in my head, I was going to offset that potentially higher risk with having a doula, you know, someone who, who was really focused on that kind of natural birth um, and would be able to really help me through the labour um, and, and help be a bit of an advocate for me. So I engaged a student doula, Grace Swinsky. Um, she's just finished qualifications. Um, so she's now a fully fledged doula and she was amazing as well. And, and from the get go, we went, you know, through my previous birth history, what mm. I wanted to get out of this, you know, Rafa joined in, in you know, in the catch ups, you know, really kind of planning out what I wanted. And then about halfway through my pregnancy, I found you guys. Mm. Um, <laughs> again, reached out to Facebook Mums Group, said, you know, I need an amazing chiropractor, someone to, who's, you know, going to help with all this pelvic alignment and you know just making sure my body's really ready and you know maximize my chances of vaginal birth and um obviously you guys were were recommended 
So I started um, <laughs> seeing Lily. Um, I think I was probably about 25 weeks pregnant. Lily, obviously amazing. I'm not going to talk too much about you. But, you know, so so again, I had gone into this pregnancy with my, my team. I had, you know, Rafa, who was really on board. Um, I had my obstetrician who, you know, was backing me 100%, my doula, um, and obviously you guys who, who were really supporting me as well. So I you know, I did things differently this time. I, you know, did a lot of mindset work. I listened to every podcast from the birth rebellion to amazing women who, who are trying to rebel against, you know, standardized medical care. They have an episode on big babies and, you know, talk about statistics about blood loss from big babies and, and all of this kind of things, you know, things that had worried me, you know, they talked about tearing, they talked about, you know, breech births, they talked about VBACs, they talked about doulas. So I just, again, gathered as much knowledge and information as I could to to reduce my anxiety and to just feel like I was going in prepared. I, you know, I did a birth plan. Um, and I think the biggest thing, and, you know, Lily said this to me throughout, was that, you know, it's, I was going to have vaginal birth and I didn't, people go, oh, like, what do you, and I was like, oh, I'm going to have a vaginal birth. Oh, that's great. You're going to try it. No, no, not try. I'm having a vaginal birth. And I think that was really the key thing for me was, there wasn't, there wasn't going to be, you know, I wasn't going to fail. My psychologist, on the other hand, actually said, look, you should probably spend some time thinking about the fact that it, it may very well not go that way. And I think for me it was I'm going to do everything in my power. I'm going to, you know, my mindset's going to be there. My body is going to be aligned and ready. You know, my team is going to back me. You know, I made Rafa listen to your podcasts um, about doulas, other podcasts about doulas so he was kind of you know doula in training almost he he knew how he was going to support me how I wanted to be supported if if something was out of my control you know so be it you know it was going to be a c-section but nothing within my control was going to be you know unticked or undiscovered Mm. you know I I just I wanted to be as ready as I could so and you knew how to do that you know you'd done the c-section Yes. You knew what that looked like. Yeah. You didn't need to visualize that. And I think you need to go there. Yeah. Potentially that made it easier as well was, you know, I I knew what the other outcome could be. So that wasn't a kind of a gray, scary thing. You know, we discussed with my OB, you know, how far I wanted to go. And and both of us, we kind of agreed that about 10 days over was was really as comfortable as either of us were going. I didn't want to birth a huge baby. Mm -hmm. um, But I said to him, I said, I don't want any discussions around the size of the baby. I said, is the baby, you know, potentially going to be big? Excuse me. Second babies are usually bigger. I said, you know, I don't want to be induced to have a C-section for a big baby. And he said, fine. So we didn't talk about the size of the baby once. We had a little bit of, not a scare, but at the 20-week mark, my placenta was very close to my cervix. So I did have a follow-up scan around 35 weeks. Thankfully, that had moved. And and once we kind of got that sign off, it was just really all systems go to mm. to get this vaginal birth happening. All systems go after we'd got the clearance from my placenta. So I started doing everything, you know, once it got to about 38 weeks, I also started doing foot reflexology, which my doula and also Lily actually had recommended, you know, really just to relax my body um, and they can do some kind of labor priming. So I did that, seeing you guys every week. But I had from the very start of my pregnancy, told myself that I was going over. I'd mentally prepared to get to 42 weeks. And I think that was a really big part of kind of my plan was to not, you know, as most most people go, oh, you know, hopefully it'll be 38 weeks. Mm. I think mentally preparing myself that it was going to be 42 weeks really helped that when I got to 38, 39, 40, and, you know, that it was still wasn't happening, that mm. um, it wasn't the end of the world. I finished work at 37 weeks. I was just exhausted. So it gave me quite a few weeks to really prepare. I, you know, prepared meals, um, 
I, you know, set up, you know, my my home space, you know, a little trolley next to my bed and and I think because I'd had such a hard time postpartum last time, I knew what I wanted this time. I knew I wanted freezer meals. I um, prepared a few different Chinese soups and congees and really things to just kind of nourish mm. my blood um, after giving birth. Uh, in Eastern medicine, they say that, you know, the first 40 days after your birth is going to reflect the next 40 years of your life. And I knew that protecting, you know, that space, especially whilst also having a toddler was going to be really important. So it got to about 40 weeks. I've been having Braxton Hicks um, for, for weeks. I'd been expressing colostrum every day, um, obviously having breastfed my first, you know, it just kind of started really flowing about the 37 <laughs> week mark. So, you know, had a, had a great um, storage in my freezer. Bit crampy, um, getting closer to the 41 week mark, um, started losing bits of my mucus plug, which was really exciting. And we had agreed that I would go in for an induction. It was 41 plus one, right? Yeah, so about seven, eight days over. So it got to got to the morning of the induction um, and I woke up at about 3 a.m. and was having, you know, what I thought would be contractions. It was, you know, I had to leave the bed. I had to walk around. I was holding my birth comb, texting my doula and said, look, I just don't want to alarm you, but <laughs> I'm meant to be getting induced tonight, but I, I think, you know, something's happening. Once the sun came up, they kind of faded out, came and saw you guys, got adjusted for the last time, uh, and then went in for the induction on the Wednesday night, um, my cervix was about one centimetre dilated, so they did a balloon catheter. I don't know if that's the correct medical term, but essentially two two small balloons. They put one on the inside of your cervix and one on the outside and fill them both with water, and the idea is that it puts pressure on your cervix to dilate. And we planned that the next morning um, Andy would break my water and then he would just leave me to labor. Mm-hmm. One of you know the biggest things is that I I didn't want to be under a time pressure. I didn't you know want to labor for twelve hours and then you know have someone say you know that that that's it. You know sorry you've you've failed to progress, which is you know a, a terminology really that just means that they failed to wait. Yeah. So <laughs> that was one of the biggest things. And you know Andy had said, look if if you're happy, baby's happy. You know you can labor for as long as you want. So the morning came around. I lost the balloon catheter at around 2 a.m., which was great because they'd said that that would mean that I was around four to five centimeters dilated, which it was excruciating having that in. So it was such a relief. Um, Andy came in and broke my water in the morning, and then he said, "All right, you know, leave leave you to it." So we set up the birth space. We got candles. We dimmed the lights. We played some music. Um, you know, and I, and I laboured really well throughout the morning. Went in the shower, tried a few different positions, um, and it was all going. I guess really well um and then kind of around midday in in hindsight we learned that he'd moved a bit more posterior and Mm -hmm. at that point I felt my contractions really go into my back and it was so painful and at that point I really felt like I was losing my ability to remain calm and collected throughout the contractions obviously you know being relaxed especially around your jaw and your mouth Mm. is really kind of um important to have all the muscles down in your vagina, also really loose. So I could feel my body tensing. I could feel the sounds that my body was starting to make, you know, Mm. were no longer those low sounds. It was starting to to get a bit of a higher pitch and I was struggling to cope. So I asked them to check me and I was still only four centimetres dilated. So I've been labouring for now about six to eight hours since breaking my waters and hadn't really improved, not improved, dilated any further. So I I was quite disheartened at that point and I said, look, I can't, 
keep doing this. No. I, I really need an epidural, which had actually been the last thing on my list that I wanted to try. So I did feel really disheartened because I knew that as soon as that happened, I was increasing my chances, you know, not only of a C-section, but, you know, forceps, vacuum, tearing, episiotomy, those sorts of things. So I struggled to accept it, but in the moment of the pain, I, I just <laughs> couldn't. Mm. So they left me for four hours. They came back around 4 p.m., checked me again, and I was still four centimetres dilated and said, okay, um, we'll start the Pitocin now, um, which was something that I'd really wanted to avoid. Being a VBAC, my risk of uterine rupture was slightly higher and once you introduce those synthetic drugs again you know does increase that risk so I'd really hope to avoid it unfortunately you know it it was indicating that I needed it so they started it and then his heart rate started dropping straight away which was really upsetting for me because that was basically what had happened with my first Mm. Um, so they stopped the drugs and they said all right we'll we'll wait till Andy comes back you know in the evening and then decide if we're going to start the drugs again if we do and it's you know still not working obviously we can do the c-section he's already here so they they left us for a bit and I said to started talking to Rafa and I said look I don't think I want to start the drugs again I said I if it's going to be a c-section I'd rather he be calm me be calm Andy you know was really supportive of a maternal assisted c-section so I said I'd, I'd rather do that than go down the line start the drugs Suddenly, you know, baby's really unhappy. Mm. The surgery, you know, if it's the middle of the night, the surgery team, you know, is then on call. So we'd have to wait for them to come back, which was, you know, a, a, one of my scary things. So I said to Rafa, I said, when Andy comes, let's just let's just tell him we want to do a C-section. And, you know, Rafa was, you know, obviously supportive of that. Mm. Um, and, and so was my doula. And it was, it was really hard to accept in the moment because it was something that I really didn't want. But for me, it was you know, also about, you know, trying to protect, you know, my baby. Mm. I didn't want to put him through kind of Mm. undue stress as well. So a couple of hours later, Andy came in and I said, look, this is a situation. And he said, look, why don't I just check you again? Just, you know, maybe we're getting close. Um, And he checked me and I was like nine, nine and a half centimetres dilated. Mm. He was like, you're you're almost there. It was about 7 p.m. at this time. He's like, you know, let's wait another hour and just see, you know, how you're going. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. And it was the whole mood in the room shifted. It had mm. gone from, you know, all right, we're going to be having a C-section to actually, you know, vaginal birth is, is going to happen. Yeah. So that was amazing. So we waited about an hour and um, during that time I spiked a temperature and started getting a headache, which, you know, can can be a bit of a red flag. But, you know, Andy was amazing. He was so patient and so just un unflustered um and he could tell that the he told me this later he could tell that the midwives were starting to get a bit antsy so he actually stayed around he didn't leave the hospital so it got to about eight o'clock and he's like look you are fully dilated he's like usually we'd like to wait for the baby to descend a bit more but because of your temperature um and your headache baby's you know starting to get a little bit unhappy let's just see how we go so started pushing i pushed for about an hour um and he said look baby's you know still a little bit unhappy nothing to worry about but we kind of want to get a bit of a move on so let's do the vacuum so he did the vacuum and this was something that I was really scared about because I you know I didn't want to tear I didn't want to bleed and I was really worried about prolapse issues Mm -hmm. and so he was getting that set up and I said to the midwife I was like I really don't want to do this and she was like Andy is the best at vacuums he said she said if there's anyone you would want to have to do the vacuum it's Andy and then she said something like, if it was my baby, I'd want him doing that too. So that gave me a lot of confidence. Mm. And sure enough, you know, within about three or four contractions, he was out. And, you know, I'm, I 
have it all on video and you know he came out and it was just felt such relief like you could feel even though I had the epidural you could feel the difference that he was like no longer in my body and I said is he okay he's okay and he's like yeah yeah he's fine and so they put him on my chest and it was just amazing um such a different experience Mm. to the c-section gave him a bit of a rub he was a bit stunned um but we were able to wait about three minutes um and then they said look he's not really poking up as much as we want so we'll just go and give him some air so I I cut the cord that was something that I really wanted to do obviously Rafa got to cut it not completely but partially when I'd had the c-section with Sam and so I'd said throughout my labor I said that's something I really want to do for vaginal birth I want to cut the cord myself so I've got a great picture of that so I cut the cord, um, they took him over, they gave him a bit of air and obviously as soon as they put him down on the, the bed, he just screamed his lungs out yeah. um, and I suddenly felt that wash of, you know, emotion, which I really didn't feel with Sam. You know, the whole C-section experience was such an out-of-body experience. It wasn't really until the next day that I felt that kind of rush of emotion. But when I heard him suddenly scream, I was like, I, I just instinctively like reached out my hands and Rafa was over at the bay and I just looked at him and just put my hands out and Rafa was like, yeah, he's, he's coming back, he's coming back. Um, so they brought him back over and then he didn't, he didn't leave me. He was on my chest for about an hour and mm. um, I kind of I sat up, was able to breastfeed him. Then Rafa had a bit of a cuddle, I had a shower and it was, it was great. The midwife talked me through my placenta, which was really cool to see that. Mm-hmm. I didn't bleed, I didn't tear, you know, I was able to get up, you know, an hour and a half after giving birth. It was just amazing. The the experience was so different to the C-section. You know, I put I pushed him across to the ward myself, um, which was really, really exciting. Mm. Um, whereas with the C-section, you know, I was bedridden all day and then, you know, hobbling around for the few days afterwards. So, And you birthed the placenta. Yes. That's the thing. Yes. Yeah. So this has been a really... I mean, the whole two episodes I've been on this, let's say the word journey again with you, where I've ridden um, this roller coaster of emotions. I mean, mm-hmm. we've sort of cried a bit in the first episode, and then now my heart is big. Mm-hmm. Have you guys done the languages of love quiz? Yeah. 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 So my language of love is words. And you've given us some amazing words, and I've written them down. So mm-hmm. I, I love the way that you said failing, failing to progress also equates I'm failing to wait. That's such a profound little statement for me. And then uh, after you spoke to Grace and Rafa when you were 4CM and you discussed the possibility of having a C-section, to me it sounded like you just let go of your expectation of anything but a good outcome. Mm. Yeah. And then your, your cervix just went whoomp, went from 4 yes. to yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And I think, you know, you, you're right that, I kind of just accepted it and, mm. and you know, shortly after that was nine centimetres dilated. Mm. It was, yeah. yeah. I, but I think for the whole thing, your entire journey, you know, from four or five years ago when you first started all of this and now having two beautiful boys, it's all been your choice. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. You were never pressured into doing anything. You stood your ground. You made choices that were best for you and your babies. And I think that is so amazing. And- yeah, and all those words that we talked about, the first one, which is um, your emotional intelligence, mm. but your actual intelligence. You have this great brain and you harnessed your ADHD um, little butterflies and they're all in formation mm. and your innate intelligence and your assertiveness, Hannah. You know, you, you stood really firm and also your amazing partner mm. and your team. So you've given us a lot of amazing words that um, I want people to hear because you you can't do it alone, and and yes, you did do it alone. You gave birth, but you you made sure you had 
your support network around you. Yeah, and it's it was, you know, such a different experience having a private obstetrician, you know, someone who who I was able to build up that relationship mm. with. You know, I, I went into having a private OB, you know, not really expecting, you know, not really having any expectations, you know, just saying it's going to be someone that, you know, I can call on if, if needed. But, you know, he was so supportive, you know, throughout the first trimester. He saw me every week, He, you know, he was like, you can come in, you know, as much as you want for those reassurance scans. He had a, a uh, ultrasound machine in his office. And then, you know, during the labor, he was just so cool, calm and collected. Nothing phased him. And it was just, it was so nice having, you know, someone that I felt really was, was on my team. Mm. You know, as, Sarah as well. says that you're, you're the one in charge. You're the queen of it. You yeah. Know, you, you drove it. So, yeah. You know, and then I did definitely, you know, still have fears going into this birth. And, you know, a couple of weeks before birth, I took my doula to meet Andy. And I said, look, I, I'm still quite worried about a few things. And, and I said to him, I was like, look, I feel better when I talk about things. So I want to talk about my big fears and then I can just release them. You know, mm-hmm. that, that whole burden, shared burden halved. So we talked through obviously the uterine rupture, which was something that for me, I really just didn't want to acknowledge. I was, you know, it was, that's not going to happen to me. You know, I I knew the risks. I'd, you know, studied the statistics, but I was really comfortable that that was not going to happen. But I, you know, trusted that Andy, you know, had the skills and expertise to manage that, you know, if, if needed. Um, And then the hemorrhaging again, because I was at a high risk and, and also the, um, the significant tearing, you know, the the thought of having a fourth degree tear was mm. was really scary. So we talked through all of that in that appointment and that just made me feel so much better. I was like, look, now that I've told you, Andy, it's your problem, you know, and, you know, if that happens, you know yeah. that it's scary for me. And he's like, it's scary for me too, but, you know, I know how to manage it. So I said, you know, if that happens, it's it's your problem. I don't need to hold the fear about it anymore. Yep. And he knew that those were things that I was scared about. So if it was something that was going to happen, he knew that he would need to give me extra reassurance and kind of talk me through what was happening. So, you know, having yeah, having that team around me that was, for me, I felt w- was quite different to my first experience where, you know, Rafa and I obviously were just by ourselves, you know, for the period of time that um, I was in labour before the C-section. And then, you know, having the surgery was a doctor, you know, that was just on call. And she was Mm. amazing, but I didn't know her. And so having the doula, having the OB who, you know, was there throughout the whole kind of, you know, second stage and, and third stage was made me feel really safe. You know, obviously not everyone has the opportunity to, to have a private obstetrician. Obviously, you know, you can get doulas, you can get student midwives, you can do the midwifery group practice. Um, so there, there's definitely lots of options. But, yeah, again, having that right team around you, I think, you know, was was the difference. You know, if, if I hadn't had a doula or I hadn't had Andy, you know, other doctors, you know, may have, have said, look, yep, let's just go for the C-section. Won't mm. even bother checking you again. Mm. Or, you know, had potentially not agreed to some of the steps or some of the things that I that I wanted. So it was really, you know, coming out of that experience so amazing to know that I made the right choices. Oh, yeah. Tommy agrees. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, amazing. Tour de force. Yeah. Mm. And just a wonderful story, you know. It's, I mean... He's here, right? Or yeah. one of them's here, sitting here. So. Um, I remember Lily telling me shortly after the birth when I just felt, you know, so amazing. You know, I'd set myself up really well with, you know, all my postpartum food. You know, I put my toddler in daycare extra days. Mm. Rafa took extended time off. Um, I didn't leave the house for the first two weeks. I just laid in bed because I really wanted to 
just heal as well as I could, you know, knowing how hard my recovery was with my C-section. I really wanted to do it better this time. Um, and I remember coming in to see Lily and just, you know, saying, I just feel so amazing. You know, I, you know, not only the exhilaration of having the successful VBAC, you know, I didn't tear, I didn't lose any blood. So physically I felt amazing and mentally I was just like on such a high. And, you know, I remember Lily saying, you should just write it all down. And that's kind of, I guess this podcast is kind of my way of doing that, of, of getting you. out all these, you know, solidifying it in history, this, mm. you know, just incredible, you know, long, hard, stressful, anxiety-filled, but, you know, amazing journey that I've been on, you know, to, to We're going to be directing that. a lot of people mm. uh, to this podcast and you might have a lot of new Facebook friends, Hannah, <laughs> <laughs> just in case you didn't want them. But I, totally you know, but this is what I'm trying to say about the whole village, you know, and you being so open is a gift to us. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Well, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. I so, mean, it's definitely easier to talk about when you're on the other side of it, you know, now I've got two beautiful babies. So it's, you know, it, it is still really hard to to talk about, you know, miscarriages. I, st I still think about the babies that I lost. You know, I still think about, you know, how much my mental health, you know, deteriorated during that time. And, and it was a really hard time, but it's definitely easier now being able to turn around and see two beautiful boys in my arms mm. compared to obviously mm. right at the start of the, <laughs> right mm. at the start of the journey. Agreed. When you just don't know what the end's going to be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And look, he's so, so cute. Yeah, he's been very patient. Yeah. Shall we get you to share your um, more little things for this one? Do you have any more? Yeah, yes, so I think, you know, as I said, going into the first birth, I didn't really prepare much. And I think, you know, maybe that was to my detriment because I did elect to get induced, you know, when in hindsight I didn't actually really need to. So I think, you know, preparing for birth, you know, and and – doing your own research outside of, you know, your midwife appointment or your OB mm. appointment, you know, finding someone else who um, is going to give you some information to, to really feel like you know what you're getting into and knowing what the outcomes are going to be. People always say, oh, don't make a birth plan because birth never goes to plan. But having your desires and knowing, you know, what you would like to happen mm -hmm. will help because I failed to do that the first time and I just kind of I, I went with the flow. Obviously, in that flow, ended up being a C-section. But if I potentially had more knowledge, you know, it, it might have been a different experience. So, yeah, giving yourself that that knowledge going into your birth. Um, you know, my second one would still would be, well, just don't give up hope. You know, it's if you have a bad experience, you can have a better one. You know, even if you know some people obviously decide to only have one baby. You know, whether you whether you work through that trauma by having a, you know, a better birth a second time or, or whether you go through, you know, a birth debrief, mm. you know, not giving up hope that you can have a better experience or you can move through mm. a bad experience. And the third one, you know, again, probably your team. I feel like my three little things are exactly the same. Perfect. You know, having having a team, having people on your side, people who are going to be there for you on the day. Um, you know, student doulas and student midwives are amazing, you know, for people that, you know, are looking for that more cost-effective option, you know, and you can really build that relationship with them, you know, without having to outlay that cost. And probably a fourth one I might throw in there is going to be, you know, protecting your postpartum period. It's it's so, so, so yeah. important and setting yourself up, you know, if you're not a good cook, you know, asking for meal vouchers for our baby shower this time. We didn't want any presents or toys. We said we just want dinner ladies vouchers. You know, there's so many yeah. companies out there um, that can deliver 
you know, home-cooked meals, you know, just ready to defrost, which was amazing also having a toddler. But, yeah, protecting your postpartum and and really taking care of yourself because a lot of people forget about that when you're taking care of a baby. Yeah. I love that. I think, yeah, yeah, thank you for sharing your story. And I think you've you've got two, you know, different worlds in the two births that you've had. But what I take from it is you had – beautiful experiences in both of them and I think that for me as someone who hasn't given birth but in a similar spot definitely see myself being a mum one day that's what birth is about for me it's that positive experience for you your partner and then obviously for the bub that arrives and I think that's just the best message ever Um, so thank you for sharing your story with us you're very welcome thank you for having me a quick disclaimer these episodes are not intended to replace help treatment or advice from your healthcare professionals The information in today's podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not designed to diagnose or treat any conditions. This is just a friendly reminder that we do not know you or your child or those around you and therefore do not know your specific needs. Please seek guidance from your healthcare professionals surrounding your concerns.